Good evening, everyone. I feel so blessed to be able to join with you this evening. And while we're not holding in-person services at the church, we do still have the means to gather virtually. And this is a time to focus on what is available to us and instead of what we can't do, and then take advantage of all our opportunities. This week, our overall theme is the door. My particular part is to look at the opposition to the doors that God sets before us. I have to think about the opposition that we're all facing right now because of the pandemic. But remember that we all face opposition during normal times as well. And my question is, how can we be prepared to deal with and overcome the opposition that we all will face? So let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come before you, we praise you for your great love for us. Lord, help us to allow you to guide in all aspects of our lives. You are the door. Please help us to trust in your leading and allow you to lead us through the opposition that we all will face. Let us live victoriously through your power in Jesus' name. Amen. And I've been thinking a lot about Paul's life and ministry lately. So I'm going to begin with an account of opposition that he faced in Ephesus. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, chapter 9. There's a wide open door for a great work here, speaking about Ephesus. But then, although many oppose me, we gain much from reading about Paul and his ministry. He was a slave to the will of God, even while facing great opposition. As we all strive to pass through doors that God sets before us, we also must expect to face opposition. It's been my experience that the greater the opportunity the door presents, the greater is the opposition. I love the account in Acts chapter 19 of Paul teaching in Ephesus. Look what happened here. So I'm in Acts 19 verses 1 through 10. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So here's Paul in Ephesus and God led him to a group of believers who did not know about the Holy Spirit. And that's a whole nother message in itself. They'd been baptized according to John's baptism. And they had repented, but they needed further instruction about believing in Jesus. 
So they were baptized right away in the name of the Lord Jesus and received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. God had opened a door for these believers. What a great time of rejoicing. Paul's message had been received. But look what happened next, beginning in verse 8. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So this is opposition that Paul faced, and he had to be led as to how to deal with this. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Greeks and Jews, hear the word of the Lord. Now, think about it, daily discussions for two years. As we seek to walk through open doors that God sets before us, know that there will most definitely be opposition. And I've found that this is one way to determine if I'm going in the right direction. I should beware if things are going too smoothly. My husband and I ministered in the Appalachian Mountains of Southwest Virginia for 15 years. And you've heard Pastor Stephen talk about what it's like to pastor a home missions church. We did the preaching, teaching, music, cleaning, maintenance, lawn work, counseling, transportation, and a myriad of other things. Then without fail, every Sunday morning, there were problems and issues that arose, opposition. It was regular, like clockwork, to the point that we learned to just look at each other and say, hmm, it's Sunday morning, something good must be gonna happen today. And then we dismiss all that chaos and go about our way of preparing. And so many times, the greater the opposition we faced, the greater the blessings turned out to be. We're deceived if we're not prepared for opposition in our lives as followers of Christ, as we go about being and making disciples. My mind regularly goes back to the level two discipleship classes on the enemies of your soul and the related scriptures. And let me put a plug in here for the three levels of discipleship classes offered here at Newark UPC. If you've not taken these classes, you're missing out. We need to realize that we do have enemies of our souls that oppose us as we live for Jesus. So if you've not taken these classes, seriously consider signing up for the next term in the spring. And if you have already taken these classes, go back and review level two, lessons four through eight, about the opposition presented by the devil, the world, and the flesh. Opposition will come, and it's so much better to be prepared for it. Sister Dahlia, who suggested our topic of the door for this week, gave me some of her thoughts about the door, along with biblical examples of opposition. So I'd like to present her ideas. 
When God opens the door that brings about a life-changing event, there's opposition or hindrances. Fear, doubt, and self-analysis are some elements that can arise. So let's look at these one at a time. We're going to start with opposition presented by, excuse me, by fear. And you can find this story in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. So as the children of Israel are journeying to the promised land, Moses sends 12 spies to search out the land and Caleb and Joshua are among them. After their 40 day journey, they returned with fruit, evidence that the land was good and also reported that the people of the land are strong. There are walled cities and the children of Anak live there. Upon hearing the report, the children of Israel began to doubt God's promises. Caleb spoke up, stating that they were able to conquer and take possession of the land. But the remaining 10 spies refuted his statement and emphasized that they saw giants and they appeared as grasshoppers in the giant's sight. So fear gripped their hearts and they murmured against Moses and Aaron. And God spoke to Moses and passed judgment. So their fear had a consequence. Anyone 20 years and over would be unable to enter the promised land and they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day of the journey. But because Joshua and Caleb believed, they would enter the promised land, while the remaining 10 spies died immediately. So fear was an opposition. Another one is doubt. And this account is found in 2 Kings chapters 6 and 7. Samaria is experiencing a severe famine, and some of the inhabitants have resorted to cannibalism. And the prophet Elisha prophesied that on tomorrow the famine would end. But there was an officer, the king's assistant, and I'll be referring to what happened to him, who on hearing the prophecy responded that even if God made windows in heaven, this would be impossible. Doubt. Elisha's response to him was, you will see it, but you will not partake of it. So four lepers entered the Syrian camp and they searched it and found no inhabitants. The Lord had caused the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots, horses, and a great army, and they fled, leaving all their possessions. So the lepers sent word to the king, and cautiously he sent officers and found that the lepers' report was true. So Elisha's prophecy had come to pass that the famine would end tomorrow. The king appointed his assistant, the one who doubted, to oversee the distribution, but the masses of people trampled him and he died. And this fulfilled Elisha's prophecy that he would see it, but he would not partake of it. Now this next one, self-analysis, is very personal for me. Um, I tend to analyze everything and uh, I can relate to Moses in this example. So let's look at self-analysis from the story of Moses in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Now, okay, and you all know the story of the Israelites being freed from Egypt. 
So the children were in bondage in the land of Egypt for 430 years. And the Lord made a promise to Abraham way back about the time for the fulfillment of the promise. From Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. Then the Lord spoke to Abram. You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. They stayed a little bit too long. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. So God appears in a burning bush to Moses, who has been exiled in Midian for 40 years. As God begins to instruct Moses on the plan of deliverance, Moses asks the question, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? The plan is fully revealed to Moses along with miraculous works. Moses, showing that he's incapable, stated to God that he's not eloquent and has speech-related issues. Also, that God should send someone else. Self-analysis does not, that it didn't agree with what God had said. And at this point, God is angry with Moses. What's amazing is that God wants Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, Moses didn't think he was capable, but God thought he was capable. The plan, God would speak to Moses and Moses would in turn speak to Aaron and Aaron would be Moses's mouthpiece. So we have to watch out and I especially have to watch out for self-analysis that doesn't agree with what God is saying. These examples teach us that reliance on Jesus Christ enables us to conquer fear, doubt, and self-analysis and the opposition that comes with it. Second Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So we have to look at our spirit and see if we're agreeing with God. And also Philippians chapter four, verse 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So those are Sister Dahlia's thoughts. So each of us must be prepared for opposition and it will come from those around us and from just the circumstances of life. And it will also come from within, from our own insecurities. But remember that we need not live this life by our own power. Luke 9.23 says, Then he, Jesus, said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. So as we face opposition, remember God is the one in control. We've given up our own way and we should follow as he leads us. We need to listen carefully see where God is leading us and allow him to help us work through the opposition to the doors that he puts in front of us. 
Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we strive to live our lives in a manner pleasing to you, prepare us for the obstacles that we will face. Lead and guide us through each open door that you set before us. Help us to live victorious lives by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.